Hello and welcome to the Media Law Podcast newscast. Colette, Tom and Paul here to take you through the latest Media Law headlines. We have two big judgments for Donald Trump and Lawrence Fox and an appeal to the Supreme Court. But I want to start with some breaking news. The Duke of Sussex has settled the remaining parts of his phone hacking claim against the publisher of the Daily Mirror. Prince Harry sued the Mirror Group newspapers for damages, claiming journalists at its publications were linked to methods including phone hacking, blagging, which is gaining information by deception, and use of private investigators for unlawful activities. In December 2023, a judge ruled that the phone hacking became widespread and habitual at MGN in the late 1990s, and the practice continued to some extent even during the Leveson inquiry into press standards in 2011. Uh, There is now a settlement of a £400,000 interim payment to the Duke of Sussex in settlement of a number of articles that weren't heard in that December trial. Um, Paul, can you please explain to myself and listeners why there was there was kind of ongoing trial here? Because I was under the impression that everything was resolved in December. Yes. So that original claim in December related to uh, generic allegations and... 33 specific articles out of a total of 148 were tried on the question of unlawful information gathering. Uh, But that left 115 articles, if my maths is correct, which it isn't always, uh, that were still to be tried uh, by a judge. Uh, So the choice for uh, MGN, having lost the trial in December, was either... Uh, to continued trial um, to uh, allow a judge to go through and determine liability on those extra 115 articles or to try and agree a a settlement. Um, The, uh, both in terms of damages and also uh, costs. So the hearings that have taken place this week have been uh, on the question of costs, on the question of um, uh, liability in relation to costs of course um, the claimant uh, has a cost position which he can now seek and has been seeking to enforce against the defendant but of course the defendant as well uh, have their own uh, representations on costs to make because of course there were uh, two claimants that lost in that trial in December which was Nikki Sanderson and Fiona Whiteman and uh, and so um, the uh, hearing was to sort of determine uh, those issues and wrap them up. Um, and of course, any question of leave uh, for appeal would also be wrapped up uh, at this hearing too. What we've been told uh, is that, uh, by uh, Prince Harry's barrister, David Sherborne, uh, is that a settlement has been agreed between the parties Uh, on those 115 uh, remaining articles and that's on the question of damages which means that the um, Prince Harry will get more we assume than the £140,000 awarded by the court back in December uh, and also on the question of costs and we've been told again by Mr Sherborne that an interim payment on costs has been made uh, by the publisher 
uh, in the sum of £400,000, which means that there is still uh, money to be paid uh, in respect of costs. So this is going to be very costly for the Mirror Group. The next judgment that I want to talk about is the that delivered on the 1st of February 2024 by Mrs Justice Stein, who dismissed the application to amend the claim form and struck out the existing claim in Trump and Orbis Business Intelligence. The defendant was entitled to summary judgment. Uh, Donald Trump filed the claim against Orbis Business Intelligence, which is a firm co-founded by Christopher Steele, a former MI6 intelligence officer who produced a dossier in 2016 that alleged Trump had engaged in sexual activity with prostitutes while visiting Russia, giving the Russian government material that could be used for blackmail. Listeners will be, I'm sure, familiar with earlier Steele dossier claims that we've discussed on this podcast. Last week's ruling said that the court did not consider or determine the accuracy or inaccuracy of anything in the dossier, but found that Trump's claim for damages had been made outside the six-year period of limitations. The court ruled that Trump had no reasonable grounds for bringing the claim for compensation or damages and no real prospect of successfully obtaining such a remedy. That was because the original claim had been brought under the Data Protection Act 2018 and UK GDPR. Trump had sought to add the Data Protection Act 1998 to the claim after the defendant highlighted that the dossier was produced in 2016 before the enactment of the 2018 Act. Mrs Justice Stein was not persuaded that the DPA 1998 claim, which the claimant sought permission to add, arose out of the same or substantially the same facts, which is what's required under Civil Procedure Rule 17.4, as were already an issue to the existing claim brought pursuant to the 2018 Act. The court held that the acts of data processing on which the claims for remedies were based were entirely different, The allegations of breach included an entirely new allegation that the processing of personal data was not fair and so breached the first data protection principle. Um, And so for that reason, adding the claim would mean starting essentially a new claim. uh, And we are well outside of the six years now for for bringing that claim. So it won't continue. Oh, God, we're going to have to start thinking about Donald Trump again, aren't we? So depressing. And I see he just had a landslide victory in Nevada as well, which is even worse. Um, well, at least the courts here are not indulging it, so we won't have to talk about him hopefully too much more on future newscasts in regards to ongoing British litigation. Moving on, though, to a another judgment, which was delivered on the 29th of January 2024, Uh, in relation to the defamation claim and counterclaim brought between Seymour Blake, the entertainer Colin Seymour, and uh, writer and broadcaster Nicola Thorpe against Lawrence Fox. Mrs Justice Collins Rice ruled that the claimants succeeded in their libel claim against the actor and founder of the Recame Party. Blake and Seymour also succeeded with Nicola Thorpe in defending the libel counterclaim brought against them by Fox. Blake and Seymour's claims were brought over tweets in which Fox called each of them a paedophile. Fox sought to deny that the tweets had caused serious harm and alleged that if they had, he was entitled 
to assert a defense of reply to attack qualified privilege because each of them had called him a racist. Collins Rice found that the allegations of being a paedophile had caused serious harm to both Blake and Seymour. Their reputations had been pristine until subjected to this most damaging and untrue of accusations. In relation to the counterclaim, Collins Rice found that the tweets calling Fox racist had not caused him serious harm. That was because there were multiple other probable causes of damage to Mr. Fox's reputation, including his own tweets and public comments about racial issues. I thought that finding was particularly funny and savage from Collins Rice. Uh, and I enjoyed reading that a lot in the judgment. Do we have any uh, comments that we want to make on this? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, the case, first of all, reminds me of uh, the one that was brought a few years ago now by, uh, I think it was Vernon Unsworth was his name, the uh, chap who was instrumental in rescuing the young boys from the cave in Thailand, who um, Elon Musk uh, called a, a pedo guy on Twitter. Uh, this was long before Elon Musk bought Twitter. Um, and uh, claimant there brought an action in defamation in California against Elon Musk and lost in a jury trial. Um, we have a very similar allegation here, and I think that the the motivation behind it is very similar. Uh, Lawrence Fox was upset. Uh, at having been um, labelled a racist, um, whether that's rightly or wrongly is not relevant for the purposes of what I have to say right now, which is that in that period of feeling angry, he felt around for the worst thing he thought he could say, the most insulting, awful thing he thought he could say. Um, and that was to uh, call these two individuals paedophiles in just the same way that Elon Musk did exactly the same when he felt uh, he felt attacked um, over his involvement, some of his, uh, let's say, more out there ideas about how to rescue the boys in the cave. He felt attacked about that and he went and he called um, the, the person he felt responsible paedophile. Um, this is not a term of abuse to be uh, bandied around lightly. It is one that connotes an extremely serious allegation and that's what the court here has ruled and I'm, I'm, I'm very glad for the clarification because it's an important one in defamation law that to call someone a paedophile is not vulgar abuse. Vulgar abuse would not be actionable under defamation law. If you call someone a bastard, we know that that is not actionable, right? But uh, to use that particular word is not merely abusive. It is defamatory. And it is good that we have clarity on that. Um, because if not, we're going to, see, we, you know, we would see more of this. Um, you know, you've seen this happen now from two high-profile individuals on social media who didn't think twice about using this as a term of abuse. Um, but they have uh, now, uh, well, at least uh, Lawrence Fox has come a cropper. And I suspect that if Unsworth had brought his claim in England rather than in California, uh, he would have won. Though, of course, he would have had difficulties enforcing the claim. Uh, not least due to various American statutes at state level about the non-enforcement of English libel uh, judgments in their jurisdiction. 
Um, the second point is the one that you pick up on, uh, Colette, um, which is that in Fox's counterclaim, uh, the claim doesn't even get off the ground. It doesn't pass the Section 1 serious harm hurdle because, the judge says, there has to be, and I'm going to use my own terminology here, a causal nexus between the statement complained of and the harm alleged to be suffered. And here we have uh, Fox having put multiple multiple statements at great length out into the public domain in various fora, whether through his Twitter feed or through the appearances he's made at events for the Reclaim Party, appearances on uh, shows like BBC Question Time, where he has said things that some will interpret as racist. Um, and he has staked out positions consistently as, at the very, very least, uh, an agent of controversy. Um, clearly, there are a lot of people who hear what Fox has to say and think that he is spouting pretty racist stuff. And there are those who support him who deny like he does, being remotely racist, uh, and then say that the real racism is against white people, and we go down the lines that are uh, unfortunately uh, these days part of that kind of alt-right community in the culture wars. So um, I think it's really significant in Section 1 jurisprudence, of which we haven't had an awful lot, that we have this clear indication from the High Court that... It, the context within which other statements to a similar effect have been made and thus the particular impact that was the statement complained of is alleged to have had on the uh, claimant's reputation is considered in that context and the claimant's reputation is considered in that context it's actually an approach which the courts have long undertaken in contempt of court cases under the strict liability contempt rule, uh, where if uh, there is a prosecution or for a publication for uh, supposedly causing a substantial risk of serious prejudice to active legal proceedings, which is the what triggers contempt, uh, the courts ask the question, well, is it this particular publication that has caused the risk? If there were 17 different publications, then presumably no single one of them caused the substantial risk. Um, and you, you have the same thing happening here. And I think it's uh, uh, it's remarkable because I haven't actually seen the courts do this before. Um, quite probably because they haven't had the opportunity um, before the emergence of Section 1 to do so under the old common law rules. And the, the, we haven't had very many cases on Section 1 yet that have uh, have reached this stage. Um, it might well have been one of those things that happened in practice behind the scenes um, and the earlier way of doing things, which, you know, is, is not something that we academics tend to get access to. But it's the first time that I've seen it happen. Um, I think it's a welcome merging of approaches from across the media law spectrum. Uh, it makes contextual sense, which as someone who likes to uh, think about things in context pleases me greatly. 
Um, I think it's a neat bit of judicial methodology. It shows that the judge is not looking at the statement in isolation, but is looking holistically uh, and thereby reaches a just outcome. And so the first thing that Fox did uh, after the verdict was to announce that he was uh, leaving X for a while. Um, and then a few moments later, he posted a video uh, giving his thoughts in which essentially he said he thought the, the judge was wrong. Um, the judge wasn't wrong, as Tom's already explained. Um, the decision was consistent with uh, English law. It's also consistent with Strasbourg uh, jurisprudence as well, because the if you look at a case like Lingen's in Austria, uh, it's well established there and in cases subsequently that politicians have a lesser entitlement to uh, reputation, private life than ordinary citizens. I think this is something that Fox doesn't quite understand or maybe he understands full well and actually he doesn't care about the outcome of the case. He really just wants to be as divisive as possible. Um, but if he is trying to launch a serious career as a politician, then he needs to understand that this puts him in a different position. He's not merely a celebrity. I mean, he's not a celebrity, but I mean, he's not merely a celebrity. He is and would be a public figure in the uh, grander, more significant sense of being a public official, someone who wants to represent uh, the populace in a parliamentary setting. So being called a racist as a politician is different to being called a racist as a non-politician or a regular member uh, of society. The flip side of that is that increasingly Strasbourg court is taking quite a hard line on hate speech. Uh, this is consistent with the Council of Europe's Committee of Ministers position, which is that hate speech is not something that is going to be protected by Article 10 of the European Convention, that actually it's entirely appropriate for action to be taken against hate speech uh, through social media regulation, etc. Um, one case that I think has slightly gone under the radar amongst commentators uh, is a case from last year, Sanchez uh, and France, uh, in which a politician, a divisive politician, a sort of populist type character, uh, allowed hateful comments to be made underneath a Facebook post that he had published and had control under. He was prosecuted under uh, French law. He complained about that prosecution. And unfortunately for him, the Strasbourg court uh, agreed with France that it was not a violation of Article 10 uh, to prosecute him uh, for that hate speech. So I think, uh, in conclusion, Fox is undone by uh, your, uh, Strasbourg law at, at two levels. One, that he doesn't have the same entitlement to reputation as everyone else. And two, he has a greater sense of responsibility than everyone else, particularly when it comes to divisive speech. And whilst you might think it's big and clever to say these stupid, hateful things on... Um, X, whatever that platform's called these days, he's not going to get any protection, certainly not free speech protection, for being called out and being called a racist, or worse. 
it will be particularly interesting to see where his next claim goes against a man who also called him, accused him of being racist on X. Uh, the pre-trial hearing was heard on the 31st of January 2024, so a couple of days after this judgment was delivered. Collins Rice was also hearing the preliminary hearing there and ruled that the hearing should take place to decide whether the posts were statements of fact or opinion. Um, as, it, as you've said, Paul, Fox has already withdrawn from X at the moment, so he may well withdraw this appeal as well. well. We'll have to wait and see, but we'll, of course, keep listeners posted. The final thing I want to talk about today is that the Director of Public Prosecutions is appealing to the Supreme Court regarding the acquittal of two protesters who were found to have acted reasonably in calling Ian Duncan Smith Tory scum. Ruth Wood and Radical Haslam were found not guilty in November 2022 of using threatening, abusive or insulting words or behaviour with intent after a two-day trial in the Manchester Magistrates' Courts. In clearing the two protesters, the judge had noted that the use of Tory scum was to highlight the policies of Duncan Smith and that this was relevant to the reasonableness of the conduct in relation to the rights of freedom of expression and assembly. The DPP has sought, had sought judicial review of that ruling at the High Courts, but there the High Court ruled uh, last November that there was no fault in law. It's that decision that it's now seeking leave to appeal to the Supreme Court. The Crown Prosecution Service has not disclosed how much this is all costing the taxpayer but a spokesperson did say that the crown prosecution service has a duty to ensure that we understand the reasoning of a court so that we can correctly apply any considerations to future cases and charging decisions this appeal was pursued because it is required for all those concerned clarity and certainty the DPP is arguing on a technicality that the chief magistrate was wrong in law to consider the proportionality of convicting the two protesters for their comments. They argue that instead the courts should have taken into account the defendant's rights to freedom of expression and taken into account the potential justifications for interfering with that right as set out in Article 10.2 and then ask whether the defendant's conduct was reasonable. Um, so it is, it's a very very tight legal point that they're arguing do we think it ne really needs to be argued all the way up to the supreme court what do you think the chances are the supreme court will actually allow this appeal to go ahead yes i think this is something that needs to go all the way to the supreme court i'm with the dpp on this i think it's really important we get to the bottom of whether calling someone tory scum is acceptable because there are plenty of tory scum or would be tory scum or possibly tory scum that we need to understand if it's okay to call them tory scum I'm not personally advocating that we call them Tory scum. I think there are other terms that we could call Tory scum if in fact they are Tory scum. But I think the principle of Tory scum is an important Tory scum to be able to Tory scum, understand scum, Tories, scum. Uh, yeah, so um, counterpoint, this is a complete waste of time. Uh, the technical point, I kind of understand the technical point, the way that it's been reported. Uh, and yet, it sounds to me very much like this is a consideration that the Chief Magistrate, at first instance, did deal with, just maybe not 
as expressly as might have been desirable. Um, because presumably, after one's considered that, yes, there is a right to freedom of expression under Article 10, Paragraph 1, and yes, it is possible to restrict that right by state measures under Article 10, Paragraph 2, for instance, through prosecution and conviction, one then moves to the question of whether it's proportionate to convict a person for what they said. If the chief magistrate just kind of jumped over expressly mentioning paragraphs 1 and 2 of Article 10 of the European Convention, but still reached the point on proportionality, I don't think there's anything to appeal here. I certainly don't think there's anything to justify an extremely expensive appeal to the Supreme Court when the uh, High Court, sitting in its two-judge judicial review mode, um, as the Divisional Court, has already looked at this point, considered it, and found that there is no error in law at first instance. Um, the real problem here, however, and take a step back, the real problem is the existence of a criminal offence that includes insulting somebody. To insult a person is a criminal... Insulting a person, as we've just discussed, is not even capable of attracting civil liability and defamation. You call somebody a bastard, they can't sue you for that. Only if it makes a specific allegation that is harmful to a person's reputation can you be sued civilly. But if I go out into public and I call someone a bastard, I can be uh, arrested and prosecuted for that. Um, it is far too low a bar. Abusive, threatening behaviour? Yes, I don't have any problem with that being a public order offence. But insulting? Using insulting words? Is that really something that in 21st century Britain we, we think of as criminal? Um, that really is the problem at the heart of this, that the police have this uh, have the power to arrest people for being insulting and saying Tom. things like Tory scum. Uh, I don't think it's going to change, but uh, I think it is the problem at the heart of all of this. Uh, one should be free to uh, insult people, whether or not one is making a political point. And what the court has essentially said here is, Yes, it's illegal to uh, insult people, but there has to be space for people to make political points. And in making the point that, in their view, Ian Duncan Smith was uh, an exemplar of Tory scummishness, the uh, protesters were making a political point, and that that is essentially protected speech, all other things being equal. Uh, the right decision was reached at first instance. The right decision was reached on appeal. I suspect the Supreme Court might well decide they have better things to do than to hear this case. Um, but if they do decide to hear the case, uh, I would very much hope that uh, the right decision is reached there as well. Tom, 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 Tom. I think you're missing the point. And you're coming very dangerously close to suggesting that the DPP is in league with Tory scum. Because that kind of Tory scumness would mean that the DPP felt that they had to defend Tory scum if it is proved that that person is Tory scum. But what it does do, if it does go to the Supreme Court, is give the rest of the country an opportunity to consider and use the word Tory scum 
before the Supreme Court determines whether calling Tory scum Tory scum is in fact a criminal offence. They're being Tory scum. <laughs> well, on that note, let's round up. Thank you very much, Tom, for your excellent insights, as always. Thanks, Colette. Thanks, Colette. As ever, follow us on social media and we will be back with more newscasts in the weeks to come. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye.